From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. The Craig Needles Podcast, the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. We're on your favorite podcast app as well. Thank you for downloading and subscribing to and listening to the Craig Needles Podcast. And for our Friday Roundtable this week, we're joined by our panel, which includes PhD candidate AJ Ray, as well as political insider Scott Collier and Shobhita Sharma. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Hello. Hey, hey. Hello. Uh, there's a, a lot that happened this week in regards to... Uh, a few stories that I thought necessarily weren't necessarily fully fleshed out as far as how the, the, the media covered them. But I want to talk about first something that was discussed at City Hall and then how it relates to the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, which is coming to have a big meeting here in London next week, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, first, though, the hubs plan. And there was some conversation in relation to the hubs plan as far as people from other cities being sent to London against their will. And I think that some of this kind of got a little bit out of control on the, the Twitter sphere and elsewhere just in regards to the what was actually being discussed. So they're talking about people being sent to the city of London against their will by whoever to access the services here. They weren't talking about not doing the hubs program or anything along those lines. AJ, well, what did you take from that discussion at City Hall this week? I think really people are confusing issues. Yes. What's happening is we have the hubs plan. We want to do it. I think there is pretty much unanimous support now around that council table of, hey, let's try this hubs plan. At the same time, I think our deputy mayor has done the right thing and brought forward a very serious issue that we know has been happening anecdotally in many cities around Ontario, where people are being shuttled against their will and, you know, coerced against their will to be moved between cities or told lies that, hey, we don't have service for you right now, but this city allegedly has services. And then they get here and find out that they don't actually have services. And I think we need to have a serious adult conversation that this is happening. And it's not that we are demonizing the people that are being sent here. They are human beings. And it, frankly, is human trafficking at the end of the day. And really, there are some, you know, I think what has been proposed with, you know, the the penalties potentially and, you know, making complaints against professional accreditation bodies that to me is all perfectly well and reasonable and very, very light on what should be done if we do find out that this is organized in some way and people are actually coercing people to move here. There are criminal charges that could be laid, and I also think the city should consider legal action at the end of the day. But for me, really, it was disappointing to see sort of this confusion of issues and also really frustrating to see some counselors kind of say, oh, well, hey, we need more data on this before we'll act. And enough's enough. We've been asking for more data for decades now on this issue. Let's just get it done. Trying to get more data on this is like trying to nail Jello to a wall. <laughs> I would argue there's not even Jello. Yeah. <laughs> Except we have a system, right? It's called HIFAS, the yeah. Homeless Individuals uh, and Families mm -hmm. uh, Information System. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, has all kinds of fields in terms of input where, you know, places of known last housing and, and everything else where we actually, you know, 
pretty quickly actually get our information out of. But I mean, I expect, you know, this is a little bit like kind of how I use, you know, Microsoft Office, right? Yeah. Where you only use, you know, five or 10% of the functionality of, of the program that you're actually familiar with. <laughs> and then there's the, the really good meaty part, the 85 to 90% that you're, you know, not even touching, right? Yeah. And I think I, this is a, it's a little bit the same way where, you know, we're on iteration number four of the program. I mean, again, it's entirely driven by how the information is actually populated and it's a bit of gago, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? So we do have tools that are actually able to track this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also know just through third parties, whether it's through, you know, EMS or police interactions with, with individuals, you know, where they're coming from. There's a lot of cases they're actually being required to provide ID, whether it's a health card or driver's license or identity card or just even attesting to, to where they're from. Um, so we do know, you know, uh, that there are people actually from out of town that are here. How'd they get here? I mean, that I think is sort of the the the, the question that we need to ask. And I mean, you know, I think a lot of people sort of think there's, you know, Greyhound buses actually, you know, 53 foot no. highway coaches <laughs> filled full of homeless people that are being dropped off downtown. No, no I don't no. think that's the case. No. But what I would say is if you've got, you know, I'm from small town Ontario, Orangeville. I mean, if you've got, you know, Buddy, we had a guy called Woofy Lions that was... Back then, we said not right in the head, but obviously suffering from mental illness. He lived in a park downtown. And, you know, some do gooding in their mind, you know, people load him up in a pickup truck and drove him down to Brampton, right? And he would spend time in Brampton, which is 20 miles south of Orangeville, my hometown. But then Woofie would actually come back and, you know, he'd be back in the park again at some point in time. So we know that this stuff actually happens. And I, for me, you know, I was here, I guess about a month ago, we were talking about how we're gonna get people into the hubs. And, you know, I said, we aren't gonna be driving around in pickup trucks and loading them up. And, you know, we said it was gonna be a pull strategy in terms of, you know, people are wanting to go into these hubs. Well, my concern is, is that, you know, everyone, you know, has got a smartphone these days, including the homeless. And, you know, they've got access to free internet, you know, and, and are poaching away. And, you know, they'll find out on their own that we've got these services that are here and it'll it'll look good to them. And I could see them actually coming here, you know, for the price of an $18 bus ticket. Yeah. And so, sorry, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, I was going to say, it's not a new thing, though. This is this has been happening mm-hmm. anecdotally. It's been happening for a while. But I think with uh, and Craig coming back to your point around AMO with and again, homelessness, ne- uh, discussing homelessness and plans to to work through homelessness like those are not new topics for that's not a new topic for amo no they've been discussing this for well i mean at least 10 years i want to say longer probably longer than that but i think with um the discussion taking place at council um our counselors will have i mean at least in my opinion should have should take that leadership opportunity to present um this to their to their AMO colleagues and and pretend and, and because again like it's not just a London problem too like I'm sure there are people being um, moved to cities like Toronto um, as well. Yeah, yeah. I I will say going back to to your point, Scott. On you know, there's not a 53 foot coach coming, but what I will say is I observed growing up in Oshawa at the hospital. What happened is they had private security guards posted at the eMERGE entrance mm-hmm. and they would hand out go bus tickets mm-hmm. and tell people you need to go downtown to get service. Right. And I'm worried that potentially we could see those trends happening again. 
and I think we do need better data on this and this system is one way to get that. The other thing mm -hmm. is I want to call out for folks. There is a Public Health Agency of Canada project that is funded out of Western right now called Homelessness Counts. And they are doing a census of homeless encampments in a bunch of cities across Canada. And I don't know where their data is at, but there's a made in London solution here. And if, you know, some of these counselors that are looking for more data, just pick up the phone and maybe phone some of their colleagues up in nursing at Western they might get some answers that they're looking for. I think the other thing that we have to consider here is there's an element of jurisdiction shopping here, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Where, you know, it's not just the homeless individual. I mean, there's also, uh, you know, and I, I honestly believe this is coming from a place of goodness where if you are in Milverton, Ontario, and you've got mm -hmm. someone that's struggling there, it actually does make sense to have that person supported in London just because we've got the services and the facilities that are here. Um, that Milverton, you know, doesn't, that have. Milverton doesn't have. Yeah. So you but, then, but then should London not, like, but then should we be asking the provincial government for a bigger chunk of money to be able to service well, those I mean, people? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily mean we it should. has to be a chunk of money, but it also could be a, um, a standard of care that yeah. is common and imposed uh, on all municipalities. I mean, we can have this conversation next week at, at AMO, but I mean, I think it's going to take um, something top down from the provincial government to say, okay, you know what, municipalities, this is the bare minimum of service that you actually have to provide yeah. and that we actually have a, a common level of service. So we actually stop that sort of shopping around for where I think I'm actually going to get the, the best yeah. deal. Mm -hmm. right? On this issue in particular, we should not be following the tie out model of vote with your feet. This needs to be something that's consistent across right. the province. Yeah. This isn't about economic competitiveness or quality of life. This is about a basic level of human rights that we should be offering at a municipal level. And in the rural municipalities cases, I mean, this is also a conversation I think about regional government too. Some of the regional municipalities have this issue solved because their rural hinterlands don't expect to provide those services. And so therefore the cities around them have an right. exchange of tax dollars to be able to pay for these services. Maybe it's time to actually talk about Southwestern Ontario regional government. It makes no sense to me that we have these independent cities that sit in the middle of these rural counties and expect that there's not going to be some sort of inequity that occurs. So what would your regional government look like to you then? We're talking London, St. Thomas, places in between, like, you know, uh, Middlesex County, Elgin County. Like, obviously, I mean, there's for any me, number of ways you can do it. But. For me, you just look at the health units for logical yeah. organizations of regional power. You have Middlesex, London. You have Southwest Public Health that is all of Oxford and Elgin. Yeah. You have Huron. And you have Great Bruce. I mean, those seem to be logical divisions already. And if we're trying to organize this around a health issue, which at the end of the day, this is what it is. It's, it's a health issue. The health units make a lot of sense as the delivery mechanism for right. it. You know, something that uh, the mayor said at this past meeting and something that I suspect, well, not suspect, I, I would bet my house that he is going to talk about at AMO is <laughs> that, that, that standard of care that Scott mm -hmm. was just discussing. And he said this is a matter of, of, of pushing other municipalities. And I think Scott's right when he says it's going to really have to be the province that is really driving the bus here. Absolutely. Pushing that. So mm -hmm. that has to be part of the conversation next week. Absolutely. Now, I think that a little bit of AMO is going to be hijacked, one would suspect, by the fact that the Minister of Housing is going to 
should be there. And uh, th- that, that guy's running a little bit of trouble lately. Uh, so I think that, that that's going to hijack, at least from a media perspective, at least from an out of outside of yeah. London media perspective. But, but I, I generally be, that should be think, a big part of it. I don't think that's going to be really an issue that's talked about at all in the delegation meetings. Oh, in the floor. delegation meetings? No. 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 But w- is everyone going to be yeah. asked about it afterwards? Oh, sure. Yes. The it's going to be a distraction for sure. Over, but, yeah. um, you know, I think there's a lot of really serious issues that AMO needs to talk about. Uh-huh. One of them also being rental housing. I think, you know, I actually will be engaging with a couple mayors at AMO next week on the topic of student rental housing. We have a huge shortage of rental housing. And unfortunately, in the market, what's happening is students are being compressed even further and actually being driven into really unsafe living conditions. I don't know if folks have seen some of the photos that have come out of um, Brampton, as well as uh, even photos have taken of London apartment buildings that were caught up in the recent blitz. Um, there were people in 10, 10 people to a two to three bedroom apartment. That's the level of crowding that yeah. we're looking at. And, and, you know, this is a real serious issue and AMO needs to step up as municipalities themselves mm-hmm. and put some pressure on some institutions that they're host to. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that whole gaming of things with, with tuition. I mean, Conestoga yeah. College. 2014-2015 uh, sessional year, 763 international students. Uh, 2021, 2022, yep. 12,808. That yep. is 1,579% uh, uh, line growth, right? And why? Because, you know, their tuitions aren't capped. It's a great way for uh, a post-sec- uh, post-secondary education institution to actually, you know, get more dollars other than what's in the funding uh, envelope coming from from the ministry. Yep. And, you know, it's a, you know, a dirty little secret. And now the challenges, I mean, the extraordinary pressure that's actually putting on housing markets. I mean, you know, uh, Dr. Moffat had, you know, his two million mm-hmm. uh, housing target report, which I know that we're going to actually be talking about. But mm-hmm. yeah. yesterday, he actually also dumped out another. He's been very, very busy. Yeah. Um, and you he know, and I are going to talk about yeah. that next week. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and Alex Usher just this week also dropped, you know, a couple graphs showing one this straight line growth that has been insane on the college level, particularly with international students, to make up budget shortfalls. But he also released and showed that Ontario is the least funded public system and that the province only contributes now less than 40% of public funding to universities and colleges. The rest comes from student fees or other incidentals yeah. that they're charging. Right. And so and that's not a sustainable system. Yeah. And we've what created percentage a of those student fees are being paid by international students? <laughs> a lot of them. Well, exactly. Yeah. We're, at, we're at 50% international students in the province. When you yeah. look at the top line numbers... Uh, 50% of the number of students or 50% the of 50, the fees? Nope. 50% of the number of students enroll. Well, that probably means there are 70% of the fees. Yep. When Jeez. you look at the actual breakdown at the college level, there are a few colleges that if the federal government turned off the immigration tap, they would be bankrupt right. the next morning. Would one of those be located in the city or they might be okay? The one located in the city is less engaged. Yeah. However, there are a couple, one being the one that Scott mentioned, um, that run satellite campuses out of Toronto that are purely for international students and are actually delivered by a public-private partnership. So there's a for-profit company called Global University Systems that operates four campuses in the Toronto area on behalf of four publicly assisted colleges. I think oh. just coming back to rent, though, yeah. um, I think it's a... That's a great point, but I think it it's a wider issue for a wider population in yeah. London right now because I know of people who are probably going to be stuck in the in the place that they are right now because they cannot afford to 
to move to yeah. exactly to, well and, and one of the issues anywhere is, else yeah. so, because there's so little on campus housing well, how can you as a family compete with 10 students that are willing to rent a three-bedroom mm-hmm. apartment for four thousand dollars at a crazy ass price so, exactly yeah. and yeah. and so then you get these families that are trapped or in smaller units yeah. and so it's it's causing a huge backlog yeah. in the market and it's the same thing on the purchase side you know people aren't moving out of their homes because they might be underwater on their mortgages now and so you have yeah. a bunch of people that there's just purely not enough supply to be able I just to move. I think out. housing all over Ontario is just <laughs> yeah. so messed up in every aspect. Well, I'm gonna, sort of like I'm doing the reverse of drive to you qualify, right? Like, yes. I mean, I'm having to come out of my house because the hospital is going to be expanding, you know, at some point in time, and you know. 55 years old, I'm not really wanting to take on a mortgage. I know what it is I'm going to be able to get from my house in terms of the market. Now, for me to now then take that and actually buy into yeah. <laughs> into London's market. I mean, my situation is a little bit weird because I got this, you know, great little two-bedroom, 1,100 square foot house in Old North, which is like almost impossible to find unto itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually going to have to probably go out of the city, which isn't a problem for me because I am a small town boy. Um, but you know, again, it's sort of the reverse of drive to qualify because I don't want to be assuming a mortgage at, you know, 57 or 58 when I'm coming out of my out of my house and, and, and you know, going somewhere else. And I think about the people that are that are getting into mortgages and just hearing that mortgages are now being extended to like 30 years, 35 years. You're going to be paying your mortgage for the rest of your working life. Well, I, I, I remember seeing actually on Twitter, I think last week, that that's, uh, some bank has introduced a 50-year amortization, yes. and yes. infinity, yeah. Uh, yeah. would aptly name, uh, infinity amortization product, right? Which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. yeah, I don't like the word infinity. <laughs> <laughs> to infinity uh, and beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, yeah, uh, right. that, that would be a red flag for me. Yeah. But I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, I, I could see this. I used to be, I'm a recovering boat owner, right? And amortization on boats, you know, went from, you know, a five-year boat loan to a 10-year boat loan to a 20-year boat loan. And I think right now you're looking at like a 25-year boat loan in terms of typical amortization if you're actually walking to Holly Gully and trying to buy a boat. So, I mean, it's happening everywhere, right? Yes. I will. I will table that plan. Okay. Not doing that. <laughs> yeah. You can't even live in a boat anymore. I can't yeah. live in a boat. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that what, what Mike Moffat had done, and I want to talk about that a little bit too from a, a rental purpose-built conversation. That, that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with the homelessness conversation. It's the same deal, and I think it's part of the same deal as far as what they should be discussing at AMO, which, hey, yeah. we should be building places that people can rent to live, mm-hmm. and therefore the more rental options there are, the less scarcity there is, the less you're going to have garbage landlords being able to do whatever they want because they know people have no choices. So uh, when, when Mike says, oh yeah, two million homes Canada-wide, rental purpose built homes by 2030, do you think that he's dreaming pie in the sky, AJ, or do you think it's doable? <laughs> I, I right now I'm a pessimist and right. I don't think it's doable. Right. But I do now think, Mike says that's what we need to be yeah. clear. Not, yeah. not Mike Mike's not saying we're going to get it. Yeah, right. And yeah. and this is my thing. Yeah. Mike is sounding the alarm. Right. Mike yeah. is is setting the goal of if you don't want things to get worse, this is the number you need. Right. And I unfortunately think we haven't seen bottom yet. Things are gonna get really ugly in the market and things are going to get to a point where it will be truly a crisis that is felt across all population groups. And I think even those that think right now they're in the middle to high income are going to be squeezed in a way that they don't think they should be. And one of the other things that I've found so fascinating about this conversation is you look at the commentators on both the left and the right, but surprisingly not the center right now. But you look at the commentators on the left and the right, 
there is unanimous agreement that we need a wartime type effort to solve this problem. I have never seen the left and the right agree agree on on an issue like that in the same way. And so what I'm looking for out of AMO and what I'm looking out for for the province is some serious thought put to how are we going to open the taps up to let existing projects that make sense on a pro forma level work? And two, how are we going to build the labor force in a way that allows us to actually tackle this problem? Because that's, that's the issue that I don't think we're talking about a lot. So one of the interesting things I saw recently from uh, a person that does advocacy for the trades is in 2015, when the Liberals took power, we were admitting over 10,000 skilled laborers under the immigration system. Mm-hmm. That number is down down to 2,500. And yet, we have seen a ginormous increase in the number of total immigrants that we're, we're issuing permits for. But for some reason, we have a massive skilled labor shortage, and we're admitting fewer skilled laborers. It just makes no sense to me. And so when we talk about this, it needs to be a really serious conversation that we are in trouble, and now is the time to act. Not a year from now, not two years from now. Fuck the plans. <laughs> Get it done. Ouch. Figure it out. No. That's what I want. I mean, I think, you know, the, the what's the Chinese proverb? You know, the best year to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. The yeah. second best time is today. I mean, I think really in terms of building out, you know, we really need to actually be trying to seize the day. I mean, you're talking about immigration numbers, 465,000 people for 2023, 485,000 targeted for 2024, half a million for 2025. So there's like almost one and a half million right there, you know, give or take. And we can talk about, you know, who is, you know, skilled in terms of coming either through a provincial nominee program or uh, federal skilled trades uh, or labor and like sort of the economic migrants. And then, you know, there's family reunification and like all the other sort of softer immigration thing uh, targets that we actually have. Um, you know, let's kind of real one when you find yourself in a hole, you know, you don't go looking for a second shovel, oh, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> Dig and, up, stupid. <laughs> so, you know, I understand that, you know, we, 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 have got very aggressive immigration targets, and I understand why we actually have them. But and by I the think, way, I'm not advocating to turn off the tax. No, and, and nor and am we, I. We but need them. But we I, do I, need I, I yeah. think we need to be more strategic in terms of what we are actually doing. And I think you know, the provincial nominee program in terms of looking at, at provincial labor gaps and, and having provinces actually be able to have some say in terms of who it is that you know, Canada's you know, allowing to come into the country, I think that actually makes uh, a lot of sense. And I, I think what we need to be doing is really looking at trying to accelerate that in terms of making sure that we have the right skills resident in the province do the things that we need to do. And I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, 1.5 million uh, homes that, you know, we're talking about provincially or 2 million apartments Mm -hmm. across the country, we're going to need, you know, skilled and semi-skilled labor to actually uh, build that. And we have a bit of a shortage right now. So, you know, I I think, you know, someone needs to sort of look at this from, you know, not even a 40,000 foot, but, you know, like a sort of U2, (laughs) 60,000, 75,000 foot level to actually look down and see everything um, all together and actually try and sequence this. Let let, let me ask a skilled immigrant about this. (laughs) I I can promise you I cannot build a house for you. I don't even own a hammer. I have a person that I rely on to do those things for me. But what I was going to say was like from that 60,000 foot, Scott, like that level, for me, like, 
and when I think of when I hear the word like rental market and building houses for renting, I think of the fact that we we need to make we need to bring it down to like think of it from the from a London level and think of uh, think about how many times there have been NIMBYs going at council being like you cannot build rental right. units behind my house that needs to stop yeah. Like no, that's, it, that's, that's an attitude. That's an attitude change. Yeah. It needs to be ignored. Well, but least. actually, and, no. And but that, there's an attitude change, yes, right? I agree. That's I agree. a complete. That's an attitude change. You're not just building the city that you live in, that you live in right now. You're building it for people who are going to continue to live here once you're after you're gone, like for the next fifty years and over. So I think it's an attitudinal shift that that Londoners, Ontarians, Canadians need to really come to terms with, like. Yep. I think altruism's hard, though, when everyone's tuned into WIIFM, my favorite yeah. radio station. What's in it for me, right? Oh. And, you, know. you know what's in it for you? There are going to be people who are going to be able to live here and ha- and actually enjoy a good standard of living yeah. without worrying about, is my paycheck going to rent? Yeah, or can I, 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 don't, I, I don't disagree with you, right? Yeah. But I mean, I... They, I, I I do think that we, we have an issue in terms of, of altruism, right? And, and, no. and looking at the, the broader public good and actually, you know, having things develop. I mean, you'd I see that, you know, just I've been in town since 1986. And I think every major decision that has come to to London that where we could have actually been bold and interesting and really looking ahead, we've either said no to it outright or we've done half of it or we've watered it down and or, you know, it, it like... <laughs> Uh, sometimes I like to say, you know, London's mediocre in spite of itself, right? <laughs> we, you know, try to be really great. but I heard we... a teen recently say London's mid, and mid. I, was, I dated <laughs> myself right away. London's <laughs> mid, but sometimes we try to kill all of the joy out of this. Yeah. We do. Yeah, the the we town did. that fun forgot. We tried to. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that real quick before we wrap up, because we are up against the clock here. Um, where does everyone stand on whether fireworks are fun or not? Because <laughs> that was talked about at a PPM this week, and it was hard to... To watch some of it you know it's, it's funny i i come from i grew up in oshawa and it's so fascinating to me when i started moving out this way where people actually do fireworks just in their backyard or or out on the street commonly because in oshawa if you want to do that you have to get a permit from the city right. you have to go apply get the permit issued but what the city does really well actually is they do a live show every year at the harbor for canada day and victoria day and they actually are going to start doing one for diwali which is really cool. So for me, it's just like, well, if we're trying to solve the issue, why would we not just have some fun with it and saying, instead of saying no fun allowed? Yeah. But, you know, it's it was classic. It was a classic London debate and a classic London city council. My issue was with the process. Yeah. Why wasn't the community consulted? Yeah. Well, why well, were those two <laughs> options the only two options that came to council? Why wasn't the community consulted before that? Mm-hmm. Like, I think we're trying to be more inclusionary in London. We have a we have a whole department for that. Remember, yeah. we have the ARAO. <laughs> what what? Oh, but that aside, we also have the we have DIAC too. We have different avenues to consult. That's their. I think that's one of their mandates to connect with communities. Why weren't they connected? Or were they connected? I don't know. One of the arguments of the meeting was, well, if we allow fireworks at Diwali, are we going to allow them on Chinese New Year? Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. Yes, yes, please that's, do that. That's, that's fine with me. And here's, now, here's the thing. Like, okay, so now we're saying, and like, I, I, you, you know this, Craig. Like, I celebrate Diwali. Mm-hmm. I celebrate Diwali with my family. Here's the thing, though. So Diwali is a, it's a lunar, it follows a lunar calendar. So we don't know if it's going to be on a weekend or not. 
a lot of people still do. Obviously, people celebrate in their homes and they're obviously um, community celebrations. But those are usually staggered for later on when people can get together, say, for example, on a weekend. So if Diwali is on, say, a Wednesday, am I not allowed to celebrate with my family in my backyard with some fireworks? And who polices that? And how do you... Sorry, Craig, if we go ahead... If we go ahead and we say, yeah, you're allowed to do fireworks in your backyard on Diwali, how are... Like, which day... Are you going to allow me to do it? Is it the actual day? Because, for example, last year, Diwali magically, actually, was on the same day as the Ontario election. So somehow, Elections Ontario (laughs) forgot that there was Diwali. Anyway, which was uh, whatever... So that was Diwali. I celebrated with my family. We totally did fireworks in my backyard. But by fireworks, we mean sparklers because that's what we do. Yeah. But then did we also had like a big celebration in um, Centennial Hall with the rest of the community. And there were some other celebrations too. Which one of them are you going to police and how do you do that? I, also, I, some people celebrated a day before. Which day is going to be okay I for me to do it? I suspect there's going to be a day. City Hall is going to say, okay, Diwali falls on this date. Here's the fireworks date. Yeah. Now, I, I, one could disagree with whether or not that's how they should do it, but I suspect that's how they will. Uh, the Centennial Hall example you used, I suspect they're just going to have a permit to that's do it. That's a permit whichever, thing, yeah. Whichever Saturday that's a permit, it is. Correct. Like the yeah. Centennial Hall, I suspect, is the Saturday in and around there. So I suspect yeah. that's how they'll do that, and, and I'm sure the people yeah. in Woodfield will love it. Uh, but <laughs> well, I mean, it's free fireworks. What's yeah. not to love? I'm sorry. Uh, I, well, yeah, I'm actually played this from the other side, uh, yeah. just because, I'll be honest, you know, boat owner, yeah. had my, my black lab, uh, Barrett, so Hamish's brother from another mother. Um, they actually never met. Took him out onto Lake St. Clair, anchored off a barge, fireworks. Shelby was with him. Shelby slept through the whole damn thing. Barrett was a wreck. Now, then, um, out in the middle of Lake St. Clair, had to actually come back to the marina, which was A, after dark, you know, and then, you know, 45 minutes on plane to come up the St. Clair River to get to uh, Port Lambton, where the marina was. Get Barrett out of the boat, into the truck to drive home for 90 minutes. Um, to get back to London because the 4th of July was on a Wednesday. So not only in this trip did I ruin my dog for fireworks, I ruined him for being on the boat on plane, and I ruined him for being in a car because he had associated mm-hmm. all of it with fireworks. I mean, bad dog owner for me. Um, but then anytime, you know, off in Deutsch Park, you know, someone's shooting off Roman candles, I mean, literally he was trying to bury himself in the back of the closet or go down to the basement. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, literally we've just – for. May 2-4 for 1st yeah. of July, we'd actually just go and hide out in the basement. And I'm sorry, Scott. Like, I, I, no, can, no, I can understand. I, I, I have a dog, I, I too. I did this myself. Like, I mean, I, I, I completely own this. I have a dog as well. This. So I understand when people, are, people say that their pets are petrified and, yeah. you know, like, they're they're hiding. And I don't, like, as a dog owner, I would I totally empathize with that. I don't want yeah. that to happen to anybody's, I mean, anybody's fur like, babies, you know, right? Spectrum disorders and, and everything else. I, and, you know, loud noises are, yeah. are, are disruptive to them. I mean, we're talking we're about... We're talking about two maximum three oh, no, no, days I, out I, of an entire year. I agree. But where I think what I would, would have loved to have seen yeah. is some real fences, enforcement and border around the days that we choose so that, you know what, if I need to get out of town and go to the college yeah. for that weekend just to have some peace and quiet, you know, whether, you know, we figure out what day Diwali's going to fall on. We know yeah. that the 1st of July if it falls on a Friday, you know, you're going to hear fireworks Saturday all and weekend. Sunday all weekend, yeah. right? Um, you know, if we just pick and choose the days and actually have 
a decent level of enforcement mm -hmm. on the other days, I think that'd be great. I think where we landed was we had a three-hour PPM that um, <laughs> basically went around, went, around PPM. In, went, went around in circles, <laughs> but it's actually three hours more of PPM that we've actually had on, on the health and homelessness. So, you know, <laughs> exactly we'll just park that point. sort of exactly my point. Like, this bifurcation been, there. This should have been a community consultation outside of City Hall. Yeah using resources that we already yeah. have. But, but hey, they they posted a get involved page. Exactly. Oh my gosh, email no address. way. You could email. <laughs> no Not an way. actual form or, uh, you know, a structured mm. consultation and question. Just an email. Uh, Just an email. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this, and, and like, I, I get it. I understand people are, are, are passionate about this. What I did not care for was the people who were opposed to fireworks getting up and saying, you don't need fireworks to celebrate Diwali, like to the <laughs> South Asian community. Like, oh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you don't get to dictate how we yeah. do our Diwali, well, actually. That's you not, know that's what? And works. Again, like, yeah. I think that was, like, I'm, I've been a, Lon I'm a Londoner. I moved here from New Delhi, like, tw 18, 19 years ago yep. now. I, this is home. I'm I'm still shocked by this community. I'm shocked at the level of work that we've don't already stop being done. Yeah. Don't I'm, stop I'm, I really am, and I'm disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I'm disappointed. I really am disappointed. The number I've I've been involved in so many of the causes here to make London more inclusive, and still like it mm. it's it's demoralizing. It hurts to hear people say things like that, Craig. Yeah, yeah. And These are yeah. people who are our neighbors. Like you, you yeah. that's what you think about. Me and my culture. I've yeah. been against fireworks for two years. That's longer yeah. than the South Asian community's been part of this. Well, <laughs> Diwali sounds 800 years old to me, but I'm not. I'm and, not a historian. It's, and it's I'm sorry, I, I hate to raise it, but yeah. like, if because <laughs> I don't, I know this crowd's gonna get mad at me. This yeah. this crowd that showed up to the PPM, who actually cares about Victoria Day anymore and lighting off fireworks on Victoria Day. I still call it does, Firecracker Day. To yeah, be honest, does so. does it even have meaning anymore in in a modern think, Ontario society? Well, like if you want to talk about it, you know, let's only have two days a year. Well, Victoria Day seems could, like a quite yeah. obvious choice to yeah. ditch. Uh, I will say this. Uh, how often do you hear it called Victoria Day? How often do you hear it called May 2-4? Yeah. Right. I think that answers our entire question <laughs> yes. right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cultures evolve. Holidays evolve. I will remind you, when Canada was confederated, Victoria Day was not a thing. It was added yeah. later because we wanted to celebrate a queen. Well, it's, it's do we still need it? Birthday, right? Yeah. So, and it, it is still today the sovereign's birthday. Right? Yes. So, yes. Whether Formally. we have firecrackers or not, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Uh, there's, uh, but I'll say this: if I, if you're asking me to pick between Chinese New Year and Victoria Day, I'll take Chinese New Year. That's fine yeah. with me. You know. Yeah. Uh, we got to wrap up the Craig Needles podcast and Friday Roundtable right there. Thank you very much to Shobita and Scott and to AJ for doing the show with us this week. Of course, you can find us at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and on your favorite podcast app. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.